No, we are a North American Mission Board supported church, and we have one of our one of our own here today. He's always here. Well, not always here, but John. You know, John Yee works with the uh, North American Mission Board, um, and that's not why I played the video, though, John. Um, part of everything we give, a certain percentage of what we give on Sunday morning, goes into a pool of money called the Cooperative Program, and out of that are funded. Uh, International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, and a host of other things, send relief, disaster relief, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we do two offerings a year. You know, we do the Christmas one, and that's uh, the, the named after a, a missionary named Lottie Moon, who was a missionary to China internationally. So that's the International Board's mission offering at Christmas. Now, the reason I'm mentioning is because Easter's coming. Uh, for a variety of reasons, we celebrate Easter, but one of the things we do at Easter time is we take what's called the Annie Armstrong offering, another mission offering named after another woman missionary, uh, and that mission offering is for uh, national missions, North American missions, United States and Canada. Uh, and so we'll be playing primarily uh, North American and Canadian uh, videos and, and mission videos between now and Easter to kind of profile that and get that on our minds as we think about and set a goal for giving to the Annie Armstrong offering uh, for North American missions. And again, we are a recipient church of that and have been for the last three and a half years. Uh, and so we uh, are supported by that. We also give back. Uh, I think next year's our last year or this year's our last year. I don't know. I've got to talk to John. It, it, they did a COVID extension, so we might get one more year. I think that's the case. Anyway, um, at some point, we will not be NAM supported anymore, and everything we give will go to NAM, and we won't get anything back, and that'll be a good day. Um, but for now, as we continue to grow, uh, we want to thank uh, Southern Baptists all across the United States and Canada for giving towards that because it supports us, and we also have an opportunity to give back. So ma many of you know, kind of on the note of missions, that we were missionaries in the country of Poland for eight years. It's been a while now. It's been, um, let's see, seven like 12 years since we came back, uh, and so 20 years since we started. But in the early days of learning the language and culture of Poland, there were times I just wanted to stop. I wanted to quit. I wanted to pack it in. There were even times I was in despair. I know I've told you before there were times that if somebody had sent me money in the mail to buy a plane ticket, I would have bought a plane ticket uh, and come home. Uh, I despaired, and honestly, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Before we moved here from Montana, I studied Taekwondo. I know it's hard to believe. I put a little COVID-19 on right here. Um, but when I got here, I was a black belt in Taekwondo. I'm not now. <laughs> I mean, I guess once a black belt, always a black belt. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kevin, in the back. He's like, once a black belt, always a black belt. I still know a lot of stuff, but I can't kick nearly as high as I used to. And, uh, man, I wish I had stayed in shape because I was, I was uh, accustomed to a mile high. And when I moved here, everything was like, whoo, I feel great. Now it's like, I went to Bozeman a couple of months ago to visit Abby, and I was like, climbing the stairs at the stadium. I'm like, ah, oh, what happened to the days when this was just like a walk in the park? But again, learning Taekwondo was tough. There were times I despaired, times I wanted to quit, times that I felt like I would just, um, wanted to give up. It, it was, again, one of the hardest things I've done for a different reason, now, there were times Paul despaired. Uh, this scripture's not going to be up on the screen because I just added it this morning. But there were times in Paul's life when he was in deep despair. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and in the first part of 9 says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
Paul was like, this really stinks. <laughs> and he was, uh, even had a moment of thinking, man, I wish I wasn't here anymore. I wish this was done and over and I was with the Father in heaven. He continues in verse 9 saying, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I think we've all been there, right? I think we've all been there, right? Yeah. There we go. I know we have. Come on. You've got to join in. You've got you to gotta, you gotta talk back. We've been there. Some of us might be there right now. Some of us may be in that moment where we're like, man, I just want to bag it. I just want to quit. I can't wait until I go home and put my pajamas on. And I got to tell this story. <laughs> we came yesterday and, and volunteered in the food pantry, and, and Jordan and I met and did some technical stuff, so I wasn't in the food pantry, but Lydia was. When it was all over, about one or two, we were finally finished. We went home, and Lydia's like, she said she's going to go put her pajamas on. She really did. And I'm like, man, I'm going to give her kudos. That was a bold move, pajamas at 2 o'clock. She was like, I'm done. Um, she was just tired. She wasn't ready to bag it. She wasn't in despair. But we've all been there. We just want to go home, put the pajamas on, get into bed, go to sleep, and forget. When we have those times, it can be difficult to press on, can't it? It can be difficult to look at the goal and to look forward and see what God is casting in front and say, I'm going to go after it and, and get it and chase it and pursue it, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though I'm ready to, uh, to, to bag it all and quit. In today's text, Paul uses this term, press on, <coughs> excuse me, twice. So let's read this scripture. We're going to read um, Philippians. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to get there, 3, 2 through 16. Before we get to reading that, though, I want to define this term, press on. It means to continue moving forward in a forceful and steady way. But, you know, that, that doesn't really get at the whole picture. So I looked at some other definitions. I don't think they're all going to be on the screen. But it can also mean to follow through on a course of action. So pressing on carries with it the idea of there's a goal out there. There's a race to run. Paul, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Paul casts the, the journey with Christ as a race that's being run. And pressing on means following through. Interestingly enough, the word press, you're going to love this, by itself can have several interesting meanings. Uh, it has a lot of meanings, but the two that I picked is to exert influence on. So if you think about what you're doing and pressing on is you're exerting your influence on something, uh, whether, uh, let me read the other definition and this will make more sense. The other definition is to squeeze the juice out of or squeeze the contents out of. Who feels like they've had the juice squeezed out? Who feels you should be pressing on, but who feels like you've been pressed? You've been squeezed. You've been juiced. Um, I, I just, when I was reading through this, I was like, you know, we can either press on or we can be squished. Literally. It's kind of what I came away with. You can either, in the power of God, determine to press on in this life, or you can be squeezed by it squished by it, the contents, the juice, the power, the energy, the life, whatever you, you might think gets just squeezed out of you until you're ready to quit, until you're in despair and you can't go any further. 
Another definition that I want to tie this to is a definition that we talked about in chapter 1 where Paul talks about striving for or contending for the gospel. So if, you, if you'll notice in Paul's writings, he uses themes that kind of run through, they run throughout books and then they run throughout all of his writings. And this is kind of one of his themes is that there's, there's a, a, a very real sense that in this life we're striving for, we're contending. Contending is like fighting for, that we're pressing on towards something. It carries with it the idea of seeking urgently. Now, maybe, Christians, you don't seek urgently enough. Maybe that's what you're going to get from this today, that the life of contending and pressing on with Christ is not just a status quo life, an I've arrived uh, with Christ life, but it's a life of pushing towards something and moving towards something. So let's get into the scripture and, and read this. Starting in verse 12 of Philippians 3, it says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So a couple things. Um, we're just going to move through this fairly quickly, um, but there's some things I really want you to capture and to think about. Um, so again, uh, I started you at the beginning of this series, get a notebook, take notes. I hope you still have that notebook. I hope you're still taking notes. I hope you're still writing down the, uh, the phrase that pays every week, right? Um, because they really will help you to recall the things that Paul talks about. So talking about Pressing on, Paul says it twice, not only have I obtained this or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So there's a couple things there. First, uh, lest we think any differently, Paul is very clearly here saying he is not perfect. Uh, I think sometimes we, we fall into the trap of thinking that the stuff Paul wrote sounds great and amazing, and that's Paul. He was the super saint. He was the super apostle. Um, he... Uh, could I could never be like him. I could never achieve Paulness. Well, fortunately, we're not having to achieve Paulness. We're having to achieve Christ-likeness, which is a, a higher standard. But Paul is saying here clearly he's not perfect, and he says as much in verse 12. But make no mistake, Paul's goal is perfection in Christ. He set a high goal. He set a goal that is not camp on the status quo. It's not come to faith in Christ, go to church, and everything's going to be great. Um, it's not even read the Bible every day and pray, and everything's going to be fine. He, 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 he is literally saying, where I am today is not good enough. Not in a way that's demeaning towards himself or a way that he despairs, but in a way that he's very real and honest with himself and saying, you know what, I, I'm, not where I, uh, I'm not where I was and I hope, and I've, I've challenged you this before, um, and so I'll challenge you again. I hope that next year you can look back and say, I'm not where I was then. I'm further. I've pressed on. I've moved on. I've, I've grown. I've matured. But we'll also be able to say, but I'm not there yet <laughs> as we continue to press on. 
Before you get the idea that power for pressing on comes from you, I want to read the rest of the 2 Corinthians passage that I read a minute ago. Again, that's not going to be on the screen. But we're looking at 2 Corinthians 1. Um, Is this still on? Okay. Just got quiet or something. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 uh, through 10, the middle of 9. Paul had just said he was burdened, he was despaired, but then he says this, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises from the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Not relying on ourselves, yet pressing on. Uh, Paul always seems to have these two kind of ideas running concurrently, doesn't he? They're, 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 they're brothers, they're, they're relatives, um, and, and, and if you really unpack the New Testament, this is a theme that, that kind of runs through it. Um, we, we hear the, 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 the idea that we come to faith not through works, right? Not by doing, but then there's the other side of that, that our faith is dead if we're not doing something. And Paul somehow is able to hold these two things in tension in his life and keep them in balance. And that's a difficult balance because on one side, you fall into legalism. Right? And on the other side, you just fall into laziness. <laughs> uh, and Paul is able to somehow navigate that, that middle road. And Paul is pursuing something. So the idea of pressing on is not just walking in a direction because you don't know what else to do. But it's moving towards something. And I think if you ask Paul, it would also be moving away from something. Let's take a look at this. Philippians 3. 13 and 14, he talks about what he's moving towards. He says, Brother, I do not con- Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. So there's a goal for the prize of the upward calling of Christ in Jesus. Paul is saying here, he's not here yet. Uh, he hasn't achieved perfection in Christ yet. He's not made it where he's supposed to go, yet he's continuing to do one thing, and that is to press on and to push on and to move, to pursue something towards Christ. Now, for those of you who came to faith in Christ in your youth, you may have experienced this. You came to faith um, maybe when you were young, especially, this seems to often happen with folks that come to faith young. Um, they, they live in a household with their parents. They come to faith in Christ. They grow to a certain point. <coughs> and I'm going to sneeze. I think that's the first time I've ever sneezed in the middle of a message before. All right. And at some point, as you pull away from that parental kind of guidance into your own freedom, you do that a little bit away from Christ and God. Not everybody does this, but a lot of times this happens. And you enter into this period where you kind of are finding your own faith. Because as young people, if you came to faith young, you came to faith under the faith of your parents. And at some point, you have to make that faith your own. And so I think a little bit Paul is talking about that here when he talks about forgetting what lies behind and straining what comes uh, towards what comes ahead and, and remembering that there's a goal out there. There's something to push towards. Um, and maybe this happened to you when you were a teenager. Maybe this even happens when you're an adult. I don't know. 
Um, there, there comes times in everybody's walk with Christ where we maybe step away a little bit or slip away a little bit and, and Christ calls us back into the fold and we have to kind of re-navigate that and, and make that faith our own. Paul is calling us to continue without stopping. So this message meets you wherever you're at. If you are charging ahead, you are on fire for Christ and you're like, woo. So what's next? What hill are we going to take next? Paul says, press on. If you're lagging, <laughs> if you're lag- it was like me at the stadium steps in Bozeman, Montana, one mile high. I was like, whew, what number is my ticket? <laughs> you know, it wasn't that bad. I hope. You know, Christ is calling you to press on as well. And Paul's saying, press on. If you're in a state where you're disconnected from Christ. You have pulled back. Maybe you're in a state where you're exploring who Christ is. You're exploring what does it mean to know Christ and to follow Christ and and who is he and and why did he die for my sins and, and what does this all mean to me? Whatever state you're in, Paul says there's a goal to push towards. Uh, uh, and, and we press on towards it. He uses this term he, um, and, and it's also found in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read it real quick, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm going to read the rest of that in a second. But, but listen to the quality of that race. Run the race with endurance. What happens when you have endurance? You don't tire. You don't stumble. You don't falter. You don't fall behind. Paul uh, uh, talks about the race, and then the writer of Hebrews talks about running the race. And then he continues, he's, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's twice now in Hebrews and in Paul and Philippians where um, he talks about, and the author of Hebrews talks about the goal being Christ. And in fact, uh, Philippians 14, uh, 3.14, we read a moment ago, uh, the prize of the upward call is God in Christ. There is a goal that we run towards, and that's Christ. There's, there's something out there that we run to. There's a purpose, Paul calls it, for which Christ took hold of me. Have you ever thought about what is the purpose for which Christ took hold of you? You ever asked him that question? I mean, there's a, there's a general answer to that, right? You know, uh, he saved me because he loves me. That's what Scripture teaches, for God so loved the world. He's in his only son, uh, right? There's another sense in which individually he has uh, pathways and journeys and, and things laid out before us. We, we like to talk about specific will and general will. God's general will is that we be saved. Specific will de- determines specifically what is my life going to look like and, and what will I do and, and where am I heading. And so Paul says that there is a purpose and a way in which Christ took hold of him. So what was that purpose? And how did it happen? We're going to take a look at Acts 9. Uh, turn with me. Uh, you know how much I love to read Scripture, and I, ha- I love to, to read it. I love to hear it read in church. And we have uh, one or two um, semi-long sections of Scripture that I'm going to read because I love for us to read Scripture together. This is about um, 
the conversion of Paul, your Bibles probably say Saul. That's because Saul had a name before he was Paul, he was Saul. So when we read this, we are talking about the old Paul. The old Paul, it was not in Christ when his name was Saul. And it says in chapter 9, But Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest. He asked for letters to the synagogue of Damascus so that anyone found belonging to the way, both men or women, might be brought uh, bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and do what you were told to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. In three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus. His name was Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said, Go, rise to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He has seen me in a vision. I'm sorry, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard uh, many from many about this man, how much evil it says that he's done. How much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call your name. But the Lord said, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came. He has sent me so that you may regain your sight and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Christ. That's the way, that's the how of how Christ captured the heart and mind and soul and strength of Saul. That is the way that he called him. But he called him to something, right? He he. he manufactured, that is, God manufactured this, this meeting on the road by blinding him and sending him to Damascus and waiting for three days and sending Ananias and praying for him, and his sight was restored, and then he immediately became this, um, this like super apostle and began proclaiming Christ, doing exactly the opposite of what he had done. I think the goal in what we're talking about here is really twofold. 
the, the goal is to press on towards Christ, but I think Philippians 3.15 not, not, not modifies this, but it, but it adds something to it, if you will. Let's read it together. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any otherwise think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. I think that the call to know Christ and to follow Christ and to press on towards Christ is a call to maturity. It's a call to maturity. And, and unfortunately, some of us haven't matured as we should. It happens. Um, if you've ever gardened, anybody ever gardened? You ever grown vegetables? I see some hands. I know it's Chicago. Um, can you grow vegetables in Chicago? We've tried a couple times. They always fell miserably. Um, we used to grow stuff in Poland. It grew great. We grew stuff in Montana. It grew wonderfully. Um, you can grow stuff, just you can kill it down in Arkansas where Lydia grew up. But if you've ever done vegetable gardens, um, you know what it looks like when a, a fruit matures properly. For instance, I'm thinking squash and zucchini. We've tried that here. Um, a nice, you know, first you get the flower. Not all the flowers turn into fruit. Some are the male flowers, some are the female. We won't go into all that. But the female flower will grow this beautiful squash. The flower falls off and this beautiful squash grows, right? Um, sometimes something happens. And if you've ever grown squash and zucchini, you know this. They get only about this big. And the flower goes, mm, and the fruit goes, <laughs> right? It just starts to rot on the vine because it's immature, and Paul is talking about a goal, a race to run towards Christ and, and part of becoming Christ-like and growing into what Christ wants us to be is this race into maturity. And so that's a question I want you to ponder today. Uh, uh, something I want you to just let it, let it um, marinate. Where are you on your maturity journey in Christ? Because you will never reach status quo. You will never reach enough in this journey with Christ. Uh, if you're uh, six months in, you're not there. If you're one year in, you're not there. Uh, anybody 50 years in? I'm, I'm staring at you guys. Uh, do I dare ask how many years in? 70 years in? Wow. Even if you're 70 years in to following Christ... You're not there yet. I hope you're a lot more mature than the rest of us. <laughs> and they hope so too, right? We all hope and pray and strive and press on to be what God has designed for us and what he's called us into being. Let's talk about this word maturity for just a second. It carries with it the idea of being fully developed or fully grown, um, so uh, I think you can see maturity in Christ is going to be something you strive for. We, we never quite reach it. We never quite get there because that's a growth process that takes us all the way into what Paul calls, uh, I'm going to go back and read it, the, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's the ultimate prize, right? That's the ultimate goal. That's the end goal that at the end... God says, welcome into the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Are you developed? 
Are you developing? Are you growing? In your process of pressing on, have you continued to move closer and closer and closer to Christ-likeness? One of the last things he says in this scripture is to hold true. Philippians 3.16, he says, let us hold true to what we have attained. Um, I think this is a little bit of a warning here, actually, um, not to slip back. I talked earlier about sometimes we can kind of slip away. Sometimes we can kind of disengage. Uh, we don't lose our salvation. I believe Scripture teaches uh, very clearly that once you are saved, the holding power of that salvation is in Christ. Uh, there's nothing we can do to, to change that and, and to take it away. If, if we couldn't earn our way into salvation, we can't earn our way into keeping it. That's just what I think Scripture teaches. So we're not talking about losing your salvation, but I think there is some loss here when we don't mature properly. Some of us might be rotting on the vine a little bit. <laughs> that would be a pity. There's a scripture that I didn't read, but Paul likens that kind of Christian as one who escapes narrowly into heaven with everything that they did in their life kind of burned up behind them as one escaping through the flames. And I don't have that passage in front of me right now. But I always thought, that's interesting, you know, you, you made it in. You got into heaven, but you smelled like you just narrowly made it right through the flames. Man, I don't want to make it. <laughs> I don't want to enter into heaven smelling like hell, literally. Like you just barely escaped through the flames. I don't want to rot on the vine. I want to hold true to what I've attained. But not only that, I want to press on. When nearing the end of his life, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy. He said, for I'm already, 2 Timothy 4, says, uh, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My time of departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Isn't that interesting words there, right? All who have loved his appearing. Paul, literally saying, I've arrived at the end, but I've been used up. I pressed on, and I was squeezed out in a good way. Remember one of the things for squeeze, man, don't let the world squeeze you out. But can God squeeze us out on the way to pressing on? Uh, apparently, absolutely. Um, I'm surprised Paul didn't use the word squeeze there. He used the word poured. But he's like, I've been poured out. I have been used up. And he was happy about it. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I want to read one more section, a little bit, little bit of a section of Scripture in preparing us to close, uh, and, then, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 14, this is commonly referred to as the parable of the talents. Remember, in the time of the New Testament, a talent was a, a certain amount of money, all right? So when we talk about talents, we're not talking about, like, being talented, we're talking about having a certain amount of money. It says, starting in verse 14 of Matthew 25, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them 
his property. To the first one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went and once traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two made two talents more, but he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He spoiled on the vine, didn't he? His fruit didn't mature. Now remember, this is a parable of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. All right? Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five more. He pressed on. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, to the one who had two, that one came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And uh, I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. In other words, you should have at least done something, anything, but the man did nothing. He failed to mature. He says, take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, I want to be found in that right place. Having taken whatever God gave me and made out of it whatever he wanted me to make out of it. To use my life, my time, my resources, and not just resources when I say that. I don't just mean finances. We have a lot of resources at our disposal besides money. We have time, we have ability, we have talent, we sing, we play, we build, we clean, we teach children, we share the gospel, we tell people who are, who are lost and dying how to find uh, a, a savior in Christ. There's so many things that we have resources for and gifts for doing. Don't let them rot on the vine. Don't look back. No one's, I don't think anybody's ever going to get to the end and say, I should have watched more Netflix. I should have played some more video games. And I'm not chiding or I'm just, I'm just saying this out loud and you, you can let the Holy Spirit convict as he will. I don't think anybody ever going to get to the end and say, man, I wish I had posted more stuff on Instagram. Dang it. Should have gone uh, uh, and done uh, 
I mean, you know, anything. It could be anything. Fill in the blank. But I think some of us will get to the end and enter into our master's kingdom through, uh, through the flames as one who barely skates by. And the father says, you made it, but, but what did you do with everything I gave you? And apparently, according to this parable, some people are going to get there and they never knew God as Father and Jesus as Savior in the first place. And they're going to say, I didn't do anything with what you gave me. And he's going to say, sorry, I don't know you. Uh, You thought you knew me, but I don't know you. And so there's no place for you in this place called heaven. But I don't know about you, I don't want to be surprised by any of those things. I know I've wasted time. And if we're honest with ourselves All of us know we have wasted time. We have wasted money. We have wasted resources. We have done things selfishly. But if you're you're listening to this message, I have good news for you. You're alive and you're breathing. You have time left. Dick, you're like, whew, I wasn't sure, but thank God. Alive and breathing. Do what? how How much time, but you got some time. We all have some time left. No matter what your ability is, no matter if you have (laughs) legs or not, right, Bob? You've got time. You've got ability. You've got skills. You can do things for the Father. Now, don't, again, don't get captured by the idea that I've got to do, 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 and that's going to earn me something because that's not what we're talking about. Again, Paul, Paul taught us how to walk that narrow line between doing things for legalistic reasons and being lazy, <laughs> saying, I, God's got me. I don't got to do anything, right? Get involved with a church. Get involved with a ministry. Get involved with another person doing something. Sit down this afternoon, read the Bible, read what we talked about today, sit and pray and ask the Father, what am I, where am I squandering? Oh, there's a dangerous question. Do you dare this afternoon pray and ask the Father, where am I wasting it? Where am I missing it? What time, money, abilities, talents, fill in the blank, am I wasting, Father, and how should I use it instead? And I guarantee you, He will show you. He will show you what that is. And the other good news is He'll give you the ability to use it for His purposes. Because he's called us, and he's given us a goal, and we know the direction. It's Christ, and it's maturity, and we press on towards it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited by, by what we have talked about today and what we have read. And I'm excited that uh, I know that in spite of the fact that I've wasted some time and some energy and some talents and some money uh, in my life, that God's not done with me yet. If he's not done with me yet, and he's not done with you yet, and he's not done with this church, and exciting things are going to happen. Exciting things are, are already happening here. I want to close reading um, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, the, the end, the, the, the result there uh, of what we were talking about. Paul had said we were burdened, we were despaired, but that happened to make us rely not upon ourselves, but on God. Just let that sink in today. 
Because part of the reason we waste stuff, part of the reason we don't mature, part of the reason that these kind of things we, we don't press on is because we're trusting in ourselves and we're relying upon ourselves and we're trusting in our, our career or our bank account or our talents, abilities, and skills or whatever. Or we're just being lazy. I mean, let's be honest. We're just being lazy. These things happen to make us rely not upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. And He will. Do you need to set your hope on the Father today and ask Him to deliver you from the deadly peril of wasted time, energy, and resources? Then do it. Do you need to ask the Father uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to save you? You're, you? You've never come to faith in Christ before and you're like, I, I, I need to begin to, to press towards that goal of Christ-likeness and maturity, but before I can do that, I need to actually be a Christian. I need to know Christ as Lord and Savior. You can do that right now. You can do that today, in this moment, simply asking Jesus Christ to save you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe, Jesus Christ, that you died and you were buried and you rose again. You took my sins to that cross in the grave and you overcame them. And because of that, you can save me from my own faults and frailties and sins from a negative future and put me into a positive one. Just, we're going to pray. Um, we're going to play a video. Uh, never done one like this before. It's actually kind of a music video, if you will, but it's a song I found um, in one of the songs, one of the service, online services that we use to get different um, media items like um, things to, to put on Facebook or, or the bumper videos we show sometimes for the message. And it's a song called Press On. Uh, and it's based on this scripture. And I'm just going to sit down and we're going to let this song play, and you'll have like three and a half minutes or something while the song's playing to listen, to pray, to seek the Father, and then I'll close us uh, briefly after that in a word of prayer. Um, but if you don't take anything <laughs> away today, uh, that would be sad. Press on. Press on. Let's, let's, let's listen to this video. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead.
Um, I love that song. I've never heard it before. I like the J-E-S-U-S playing in the background. Um, I hope that you are challenged today. I hope you're challenged every Sunday, but I hope the Lord challenged you today to press on. And so as you consider what the Lord's calling you to, and as you prayed just now and sought him, I hope he began to enlighten you to what that would be, and I hope that if you haven't yet heard, you'll seriously take some time. Youth, uh, college-age students, there's a couple here, um, adults, take time with the Father and ask him, if you dare, <laughs> about your insufficiencies. What are you wasting? What does he want you to do? with that, that time, that energy, that life, that at the end, whenever that is, it could be any day now, we don't know. It could be 70 years from now. Probably not for all of us. <laughs> I just, just, just ribbing you. But in all seriousness, I don't want to get to that point and be like the father's disappointed. I don't want to disappoint. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have had quite a journey through Philippians, and we're not done yet. Lord, we thank you for what Paul uh, experienced, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult. We thank you for his transparency with it, that he didn't cast himself as the one who had arrived. He didn't cast himself as the one who didn't despair. Uh, he didn't cast himself as the one who, when he arrived at the end, still had more energy to go, but that he was, uh, he was in despair at times, that he had problems, that he suffered, that he knew he hadn't arrived yet. But Lord, he painted a picture for us that showed him at the end where he said, I'm done. I'm squeezed out. I'm poured out. I'm all juiced. I don't have any more energy. I've been used all of my energy, my talents, my time, my abilities in becoming mature, in growing in Christ-likeness, in honoring you, Father. Lord, that that, that could be said of us. So, Lord, change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes, change our, uh, our time management skills, our money-saving spending skills. Change uh, the way we live our lives to a way that honors you. For your glory, for your honor, for the prize of the upward calling of Christ and Jesus. Lord, we thank you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.